Welcome to the Next Level Brands podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast. We're brought to you, as always, by the cast and crew at nextlevelbrands.com. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, please check out the services offered at nextlevelbrands.com. Courses, workshops, founder coaching, fractional marketing and sales resources, and a whole lot more. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Take your brand to the next level with Next Level Brands. Well, I'm Steve Clear. We've got an awesome show for you today. Joining me today is Gregory Vetter, who's the founder and CEO of Tessie Mays. With his mother's homemade dressing recipe and the help of his brothers and family, Tessie Mays became a leading innovator and total disruptor in the clean label food movement. After winning over a local Whole Foods buyer and selling just under 700 bottles in one week, think about that just for a moment, folks. Gregory, his two brothers, Matt and Brian, and his family have grown the business to become the number one organic salad dressing brand in the refrigerated space. Their clean manufacturing process on a mass scale has led to the invention of the fresh condiment category, and they continue pioneering innovation in the grocery store with the creation of the first shelf-stable gum and additive-free dressing, the Tessie Mays Pantry Line. We're going to dive into the secrets behind all this and talk about what disrupting actually is. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hello. So one of the things that I, I wanted to make sure we, we talked about, so I'll hit it up right up front, is uh, your brand obviously is very famous within that refrigerated category, selling in produce. But even that is a whole new, fairly recent innovation within conventional grocery. So when you got started, let me ask you, was it the drive for the freshness and the ingredients that led you to do refrigerated? Or, you know, was it that you wanted to be in produce rather than in dry grocery? Or how did that whole thing of tackle and fresh come about? I think it was complete ignorance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) I think we didn't want to ruin the product. And so, and even to this day, every risk that we've taken, every decision we make kind of works backwards from maintaining the integrity of our kind of food standards and the flavor and the quality side of it. And so when we pitched Whole Foods or when I pitched Whole Foods on this product, they were like, okay, well, this is a refrigerated product. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. That's I'm, I'm in on that. And so we just didn't realize that we were going to kind of innovate and disrupt a a category that had otherwise been asleep for a very long time. And then we also didn't understand that the clean eating movement was going to come three years later, four years later. Right. And so we've just kind of stayed with our stubbornness and uh, our ignorance. And we just kind of want to do what we want to do the way we want to do it because we are our own customers and we don't want to cheapen the product and we don't want to make it uh, taste like crap. And we're not going to start adding thickening agents and weird words we can't pronounce. And so that has led us to a 13-year journey and here we are. <laughs> so let's let's go back a little bit before why salad dressings and how did you come upon, I mean, you had a family recipe obviously, but why did you choose that to take forward? Well, I think I wanted to do something. I didn't know what that was. 
I was young. I started testing maze when I was 25. I was playing professional lacrosse and I was <laughs> selling insurance. And I did not like selling insurance, even though I was good at it. And so I would go home every day for lunch and I would stand on my head, literally, and try and figure out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And so my mom was making me two liter bottles of salad dressing for my townhouse. And I, so I would go home and I'd make a salad with some protein on it. And I would pour this dressing on top that didn't have a name at the time. And so one day I came home and this two liter bottle of dressing was missing. And uh, a neighbor had broken into my house and stolen the dressing. And I tracked the, the guy down and was like, what's going on here? And he's like, I just needed it. I was jonesing for it. I came in. I knew the code to your house. I took <laughs> it. And so I just had this like bizarre lightning bolt moment. And I said, well, hey, man, if, if a man's going to steal another man's salad dressing, uh, then I am going to bottle this stuff and I'm going to start a salad dressing company. And so I called my wife and I said, hey, I'm going to quit my job and start a salad dressing company. And she was like, that's a really great idea. I'm sure that went over well. Yes. <laughs> she actually thought it was good. I called my mom and said, hey, I'm going to need your recipe. I'm going to take it and I'm going to get it, get us into Whole Foods. And she's like, that's never going to, that's never going to work. No one cares. <laughs> So, and, and that's, that's what we call uh, friends. That's what we call ambition in, in doing that. All right. So you have, obviously <clears throat> mom's recipe doesn't translate exactly to a formula, but you have something to go on and you know that it's good. Yeah. So did you sit down and batch up a bunch of stuff in the kitchen prior to the whole foods, you know, appointment thing or, or walking into the store? how did you pull that off? I just started cold calling the local Annapolis Whole Foods. And I finally, you know, I, I think six different people, maybe eight different people told me no. And then I just kept calling uh, because I just felt like the people I was talking to, it was almost like I caught them off guard and they weren't really the decision maker. And I could kind of tell. And so finally I got this guy on the phone and I'm like, hey, I'm this world famous food manufacturer and you have to try this magnificent dressing. And he was like, okay, come tomorrow at noon. I'll try it. You know, I'm the head of grocery at the Annapolis store. Keith Spriggs, shout out to Keith Spriggs. And, and so I called my mom and I go, you're not, you're not going to believe this. I got a meeting at Whole Foods. And so I'm going to need you to make the greatest batch of salad dressing you've ever made in your life. And she's like, well, what are we going to put it in? We're not even a company. I don't even have a bottle. I'm not even, I don't even know if I'm going into business with you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I don't yeah. care about any of that. I need the, the greatest batch of dressing ever made. And so I went, I went over to her house. I took some crunchy romaine lettuce, put it in a Tupperware container, poured the dressing on top and walked into Whole Foods for my meeting. Oh, wow. Okay. And Obviously, the results were successful. You know, what next? I mean, getting the order is always great, and you, right? And you got wings in your feet when you go out. Then you get to the parking lot and you go, uh-oh, what do I do now? <laughs> so, so true. They gave me 200 pages of paperwork to fill out, you know, if, for food manufacturing and yep. vendor setup and all that. So I went home and I just started Googling. I didn't have anything. I didn't know anything. So, you know, I just went page by page. What is a HACCP plan? How do I find a certified kitchen? Where do I get nutritional facts? And so each page I completed and sent in and 
you know, went through that whole charade and found a certified kitchen and convinced a now friend of mine, wasn't a friend at the time, to let me use his restaurant at night when they close. So my brothers and I made dressing from 10 o'clock at night till about two in the morning. And, and we hand bottled it. And so they ordered four cases for the month. You know, there was 12 bottles in a case back then. Yep. And they gave me a shot for the grand opening of the new Annapolis Whole Foods, May 1st, 2009. So I made four cases and I thought that was just kind of going to be the end of it. And so then we set up a demo and uh, sold, sold those four cases in about 30 minutes. And so then I went to the director of, so this was at the time, the Annapolis Whole Foods was the right. large, largest and nicest on the East Coast. And so every decision maker on the East Coast was there. And so I went to the director of produce for the East Coast, Eric Brown, shout out to my boy, Eric Brown. And I said, hey man, I sold all the dressing. He goes, there's more on the back. I'm like, nah, it's all four cases are gone. That's, yeah. And he was like, you sold... 40 whatever bottles in 30 minutes. Are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And no. so, so that was that. And he goes, go make more. And I'm like, I got to go now. I don't have any more. This was for the month. So I went and made more that night. And that trend continued for a couple of days. And so we ended up selling, I think it was like 650 bottles or something in five days in one store. And I was like, okay, I think, I think we're on to something. Yeah, I, I would say so. <laughs> it's, the amazing thing about that is, is that, you know, it's obviously was a newer flavor to people, uh, yeah. a brilliant recipe and whatever, but this idea that, you know, probably not today to replicate that they would kind of check on your inventory before they let you in the store to make sure that you had enough. And the good news is that, Whole Foods, that was the worst onboarding you're ever going to do. Yeah, everything sure. after that is is not as bad. So yep. you started with the, uh, you know, jumping through the proper hoops. All right, so we're all we're, we're there. You're doing some pretty mighty turns, and sounds like at this point you don't have the capability of being able to produce enough to make the sales. What'd you do? So in the beginning, we just kind of, we didn't grow until we just had a handle on that one store. So we just started tracking our data points of how many, how many bottles are we selling per demo? How many bottles are we selling in a store in a week without demos? And so once we got a good rhythm of how many bottles we were selling in one store, we go, okay, now, now let's go and call the other stores close by. So we called... Uh, Harbor East in Baltimore and Mount Washington, Whole Foods in Baltimore. We called a couple DC stores. They didn't really care in the beginning, but Bethesda did. So we were in, you know, a couple Baltimore stores, Naples, Bethesda. And then again, the numbers just were all the same. You know, we were doing demos and we were just absolutely cranking salad dressing out. And so four stores turned into 18 stores, which were all the stores in DC, Maryland, and Virginia. And, you know, I convinced my brother and my wife to quit their jobs and do it full time. And so we just had like this little rhythm of, you know, we were making dressing all week by hand. We would drop it off in the stores Friday morning. My brother drove it in his actual car. We would do demos Friday afternoons, all day Saturday, all day Sunday, sometimes Monday. 
And, you know, and then we would place orders on Tuesday. How much dressing do you need on Tuesday? Make it all Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, and crank it out on Friday. And you can only do that for so much time before, you know, you just start getting burned out. So one of the buyers in DC was like, can you just go through our distributor, like our produce distributor? I mean, having to order from you individually sucks and it's annoying. And so we called yep. the the new director, Matt Ray. Shout out to my boy, Matt Ray. And I'm like, hey, man, you know, these guys are saying that we should be in the distributor. We're doing really well. And he's like, yeah, I've never heard of you. I don't, I, you're not going to the distributor. <laughs> and I'm like, just look at the data, please, please just look at it. And he's like, I'll call you on Monday. So he calls me on Monday. He goes, hey, so it turns out you are the number one selling dressing in the Mid-Atlantic. So we will carry you in the distributor. So we jumped from you bet. 18, 18 to 40 stores overnight. Um, we got to stop driving it to the stores on Fridays, which was awesome. And that kind of began our region by region expansion. Right. Going forward. How, how did that, though, in that instance, and you, you probably had foreknowledge, but still that starts denting your margin real quick, though. When you start dealing with a distributor, a lot of people can't, can't seem to make that jump as it were. So for us, we had, you know, we, we had kind of everything going our way, I guess is the best way to describe it. And so we were able to go direct to the whole foods distribution center and not, Uh yes, which in 2009, that's what they were doing for all the produce. Right. So that helped us because we weren't dealing with anything that a normal distributor does, which is, you know, very difficult to manage just from a cash management perspective. And yep. it's very time consuming and it's unreliable for the most part. And so, you know, we found this little loophole of we're in produce and the produce departments love it. And they're requesting us to be in the uh, distribution centers. It's moving really fast, so they'll allocate space. And so we were able to do that region by region by region until they requested that we move to UNFI. And so then we just started dealing with all the other normal problems that people deal with, with dealing with distributors. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and part of the growth pains, the, you know, but so you, your wife and your brother, one brother are, are, are in it. When did you guys, did did you decide to look for a suitable co-packer? Did you decide to invest in your own manufacturing? Where did that go? So we tried to find a co-packer, right? Because that seems real easy to do, but nobody would make it the way we needed it made because everybody uses thickening agents and citric acid and preservatives and all that jazz And so we were faced with this question of, do we think this has legs? And if we do, are we willing to start a manufacturing plant for it? And so our decision was YOLO. (laughs) You only live once. And so, yeah. And so we go, all right, we're just, we're going to start our manufacturing plant. And so in 2012, we signed a lease for a giant, manufacturing plant in Baltimore. That's its own story, which we'll get to probably on another episode. Yep. But we opened up a 36,000 square foot manufacturing plant. 
And so our problems changed, right? Our problems then turned to, okay, we no longer have a kind of capacity issue. Now we have a sales and pay our bills issue. And so that's one of the problems with doing your own manufacturing is, you know, you have to predict the future, right? Because every innovation that you do, it's not calling a co-packer, hey, we want to look into this type of product. It's, are we going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into a new piece of equipment and can we turn it into something? Yeah. And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. Yeah. And so that's very difficult, but we opened up a plant. We were in two regions at the time, the Mid-Atlantic and the Southeast. We had just gotten approval for the Rocky Mountain region. And then we were invited to Whole Foods Global Vision Day in Brooklyn. So they took the top 10 brands, regardless of category, by region and had everybody come to this like giant warehouse in Brooklyn where all of the you know regional presidents and executives were there and they could try all the best products from every region. And so we left that meeting. It was, almost, you know, it was almost like you know, the universe, we signed a lease. It was like, how are we going to pay for this? We go to this event and we come back a national vendor with Whole Foods and we're like, okay, how are we going to now make this much? Right. So, now, you know, now I need, now I need trucks. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Wow. No, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's always hard with people who have a, a, a particular flavors, recipes or whatever, first of all, to make that transition, but most of them make a transition to a co-packer or their own manufacturing by kind of that point. So they kind of got already that dialed in, but it's, it's been a real toss up for me with guests who have made that choice. I, I swear I've had some people on that have basically said, man, I am so glad I never wanted to own a piece of equipment. I would screw it up if I did. I would this, that, and the other. And it's worked out really great for me to the co-packer horror story or the whatever that, you know, nobody needs to go into, but, you know, versus, versus others who will say, because of the, and it's mainly quality issue is, is, you know, I, I, I felt I couldn't guarantee the quality uh, of the the product, the efficacy, the particular flavor profile by going to a, a, you know, so I, we opened the plant and it's like, wow, okay, got to do that. It's, it's a big choice. It's a huge choice. And uh, I'm glad we did it. We learned a lot. I don't know if I would recommend it to <laughs> other people. We just kind of had a specific flavor profile or formula that just, it was not conducive with traditional manufacturing practices. Sometimes I see people that are just stubborn and want to, want to, open one just because they want to open it where somebody else can make it. Right. I don't ever recommend that. It's like if someone else can make it and guarantee quality, then save yourself the headache. There's also that aspect of, you know, being the refrigerated versus shelf stable, which is, you know, there's, there's lots and lots of plants love to do hot fill for you all day long, cold, not so much. Yeah, and and the more the more almost the more viable it is, the the less they want to handle it. (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) Whoa, you got biotics in? Oh no, I'm not touching that, dude. I want to get that out. So, from with the family involvement and stuff, how did you how did you guys break up? 
responsibilities in terms of, you know, obviously you're the general manager and whatever, but did you guys kind of break up, okay, sales and marketing going to do this and, and, and bro, you're going to do production. How'd you sort that all out? So I, so I started it and if you meet all the brothers, you'll understand that our roles fit us perfectly. And so my brother, Brian handles all of our sales, right? And he is, the joke is he can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves, right? The, the Tommy <laughs> boy quote. Yeah. And then uh, my brother, Matt, handles all of our manufacturing and all of our production. Okay. And as the youngest brother and a former Lego enthusiast, we go, yeah, I mean, this makes sense, right? Like, are you, can you sell better than Brian? No. No. Are you going to deal with all the bullshit I deal with? No. no. All right. That, that leaves manufacturing. And so, and so, and then my wife handles all the brand and marketing. Right. And so, you know, you, you look at the company and how things divvy up, there's only a couple spots left for people. And we're lucky enough to have a couple really trusted, wonderful people that have been with us forever, kind of filling in those, those other pillars. So I, I've been very fortunate to work for a number of family-owned food companies. So the, the Mariani's in California, the Reese family, which is El Monterey, frozen Mexican products and whatever, and, and currently for the Samuels at Sunrise Dried Fresh. And same thing, the brothers in the different responsibilities, I mean, a- absolutely just just great that it happened that way because some are very handy in the mechanical part. Some are really good in the sales part, but don't put them in production because that's not going to, that's not going to work. You know, it just figures out, but do you guys, have you guys looked at and, you know, and one of the things of wrestling with is, okay, so this is in this case, it's a fourth generation family owned farm and processor. So there's an expectation level. There's going to be a fifth generation coming in. Have you guys looked at next generation or any planning or anything to say we want to try to keep this a family business or maybe nobody's interested or how's that working? I think because we are 13 years in, we don't know what to expect, right? So I think we always kind of think through like, what what were the you know, Heinz people doing back in like the early whatever, you know, were they really mapping out third generation or what were the McCormick's doing? And so right. And so right now we just continue to focus and grow right. and try and do the right thing and, and maintain the quality of the product. But it's not easy. I mean, if you talk to anybody that has built something from nothing it's way more difficult than you read about in Inc. Magazine or right. you know, fast only, company, yeah. right? Or only you know the the happy stories that the motivational speakers talk about. It's like you know, let's get into the dirt, let's get into the muck, <laughs> and actually talk about what it takes to build something from nothing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy and it's not it's not an easy industry. Food and beverage is not, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it's easier to get into something like supplements, but it's easier to get into something like supplements. (laughs) Um, Just, 
doesn't work quite that way. So tell me a little bit about, you know, with, with produce, you have an opportunity to do probably a little bit more promotionally and stuff with the produce people because they don't have that set thing of dry grocery, salad dressings. Okay, this week it's craft. Next week it's, you know, whatever. How does that work out for you? How do you think that's been beneficial or maybe not beneficial? Everything has its pro and everything has its con. You know, I, I think the grass is always greener on the other side. When we do kind of the promotional planning and whatnot for the shelf stable stuff, we're like, it's so regimented and so very oh, yeah. specific. You know, you're like, well, this is kind of nice, you know, because you can make a decision and stick to it. And you don't have to think about it ever again. But in the beginning, when you when we were growing, it was also really nice for the flexibility because as something was coming up, we could go, hey, you know, let's partner with whatever berry is happening right now and we'll do some like festive seasonal salad or something. And 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 the produce departments are just like, yeah, that's cool. I, I love that. They have become a little bit more like the shelf stable areas where they do want more kind of focused promotional planning on a calendar in recent years. But, you know, it's everything has its pro and everything has its con. Yeah. Moving in. Let's dwell for a moment on your entry into shelf stable. Can you talk to us a little bit about why and how it's going? So we got a phone call from Walmart. And uh, they had a disruptive brands offsite for all of their buyers. And we were the case study. And it was, look at what Tessie Mays did for the refrigerated dressing category. And they said, basically, go find the Tessie Mays of your category. And so we got a phone call from, from the grocery buyer. And they were like, hey, instead of me finding another Tessie Mays of salad dressing, but for shelf stable, why don't you make shelf stable salad dressing? And we're like, well, that's not what we do. <laughs> and they go, well, why don't you look into it? And so my brother called me and he goes, hey, I just had this call. You know, like, let's see if we can figure this out. So for us, it was all contingent on whether or not we could develop a really delicious, clean label, shelf stable ranch dressing, right? Because creamy dressings are 68% of the salad dressing category. Right. And so if we could do that, then we could play in shelf-stable land. And so we went to our head of product in R&D, Kristen Natami. Shout out to Kristen Natami. And she has a very specific process of innovation. She turns red. She cusses you out. She (laughs) gives you the middle finger. She tells you it's never going to happen. And then the next morning, she's listening to 90s rap in the test kitchen and every the world has been solved. And so the next day I come in and she's like, yeah, I think I, think I figured it out. And so she, in fact, figured it out. And so then we, you know, we did the shelf life testing. We did all the you know, normal stuff to make sure that it wasn't going to kill people. And so then we called Walmart back after we had developed it and we said, Hey, yeah, we have, you know, we have shelf stable, shelf stable line. And so what took us, I want to say 11 or 12 years, I guess it was 11 years to do in refrigerated took us about 12 months in shelf stable to get in the same amount of doors. 
And it was one of those things where it just like the price point was right. The packaging was great. The product tasted delicious. And we just heard yes. And we heard yes straight into COVID. And so it was like, we're launching everything and the world is amazing. And then that was literally in the fall of 2019 going into 2020. And so then the world shut down. And so um, everything kind of just paused. And so all rollouts were basically not happening. Some did sporadically, but things are picking back up now as the world opens back up and all of the launches that were supposed to happen back then are starting to happen now. And so, you know, there's a lot of traction. We just got to continue to execute. Did you have supply chain issues related to COVID? Because doing Uh, fresh stuff is different than obviously shelf stable. You know, our supply chain team did a really great job the minute they started sniffing issues, setting up contracts properly over the next couple of years. We had our own manufacturing with people that have been with us for a long time. We got uh, forward transit vans and hired drivers and we picked up all of our manufacturing workers. And so we didn't really have a lot of COVID related issues. We had... Now, granted, there were still COVID-related issues, right? Like trucking was crazy and and all of the other stuff. But we weren't in the situations that you saw a lot of people that use co-packers were in, where it was just like, hey, no one's showing up at our co-packer and we have no product. We never, we never had that problem. We've had more issues recently with, you know, trucking shortages and gas prices and massive price increases because of inflation and you know, the world's sunflower oil has basically grown in Russia and Ukraine, if you can believe that. Yep. And so that has been a massive issue. And so a lot of our problems that we avoided during COVID have just been punching us in the mouth on a daily basis recently. But, you know, it's every day is its own challenge. It just yes. depends yeah. on what to get through with. Like try to find a container, a container. All I need is a container. (laughs) Guess what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not, not, not happening. Yeah. And there are, there are a number of those logistical things, particularly when you get into something that is a multi ingredient product. So if you've got 13 ingredients with your spices and you're you're missing lemon, well, guess what? (laughs) Um, It's not the same thing and it doesn't, you know, work out that way. So it's been a, been a real challenge. So with the with the differences again, sort of between and and, it, and it, it's been unusual because it's been COVID related. So, but how did you find other than the minutia of dealing with a really you know detailed promotion calendar, the differences between shelf stable and working through the produce department? Initially, shelf stable was much more centralized. And it was just kind of, that's their specialty, right? Bottled dressings and condiments and things. Yeah. That's their wheelhouse. Produce, their wheelhouse, bananas, apples, berries, dressing is, is not on the top of their list. Right. <laughs> and so it, it's just, it's a different type of battle. It's still a battle. In one, you're battling to make someone care about something they don't care about, i.e. dressing instead of bananas. And in the other world, it's it's making them care about a brand that they don't care about, right? Tessie Mays instead of 
whatever, Hidden Valley Ranch or something like that. Yeah. Uh, And so you're always just kind of waking up and fighting the good fight. And so they're very, very different worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't, they don't come together easily. Years ago, we did a wonderful project with Ready Pack salads and Albertson stores where we actually got to change the inside of produce departments to include non-produce dry grocery and refrigerated grocery items in the produce section. So including, you know, craft cheese and, and right. And, 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 you know, sliced meats and whatever. And then it was isolated and there were 20 like stores and they were measured and it was, you know, what's the volume with it? Well, it was absolutely incredible. The volume increases, right? Except that the produce guys lost space. Yes. And it, it wasn't their ring. When Correct. somebody sells craft cheese in the produce yes. department, I it doesn't get on my bonus. Right. And the whole even though it just you could you could the data just points to the fact that people yep. want to go in and buy all the components from their salad in one area, yep. didn't work and still does not work. Don't even mention it to, to people. It's 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 funny, but it was it was very interesting because you'd think logically, if we have all this data that says we can increase dollars and say, yeah, no, 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 not my not my department. We figured it out. Yeah. So what's what's sort of next down the line? I mean, what what are you guys looking at doing? Is there pressure to do more condiments? Is there? I mean, it's tough beating a phone call from Walmart saying. Can you make something for me? Yeah, no, that was cool. We're doing a big packaging refresh that we're going to launch soon. Oh, cool. Uh, I'm really excited about that. We did the packaging. The last one we did was in 2017 and we won a Nielsen design impact award for it. And um, then basically every salad dressing company copied almost everything that we did to the Pantone number. Uh, And so now you don't know really what's Tessie Mays and what's not. And so we're going to do a little bit of a packaging refresh here to kind of reignite, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. And so we need a little evolution here from a, from a brand perspective. So we're excited about that. And then we're just going to keep innovating in flavors and, and uh, different products and see what works and see what doesn't and keep growing the brand, get some new households and, yeah, you know, yeah. get Work her a done. Little more. Yeah. Yeah. The, the interesting thing I think too, Greg, is also so much of the psychological impact from COVID on food purchasing has been this idea that people who weren't reading labels beforehand now are. Uh, mm-hmm. Or are more concerned about what's in the jar, what's in the box, and yes. what am I going to put in my body, which is all all really good stuff. Well, I really appreciate you taking uh, time to spend with us today, Greg, and tell us a story. Love Tessie Mays, love the products, just you know, awesome stuff. We do ask our guests, however, to impart or share a little wisdom with fellow entrepreneurs and fellow founders, which you've already done today, by the way, you know, in buckets. But is there a uh, we call it words to grow by? And yep. it comes down to kind of, it can be a word, it can be a phrase, can be a quote from somebody else, but that you think is important to share with fellow entrepreneurs. I just finished The Obstacle is the Way uh, by Ryan Holiday for, I want to say the fifth time. And so I would say The Obstacle is the Way. 
The obstacle is the way. And, yep. and I would highly recommend reading that book. That's pretty awesome. Who's the author again? Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday. Okay. No, that's, I, I like that. I really do. I haven't heard of it, but that is a awesome quote. Yeah, for sure. Well, Greg, hey, thanks a lot. Really appreciate you taking the time and we will get you back on again to talk about the uh, manufacturing process stuff that, you know, <laughs> so people can join in on that. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, by the way, to everybody else out there for joining us on another Next Level Brands podcast. Thanks as well to nextlevelbrands.com for production assistance. We're always grateful for any feedback or comments we get. If you have an idea for a show topic or a special guest, please feel free to let us know. I'm Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at Next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.